Agents Podcast. Today's podcast is brought to you by Power ISA, the industry experts in real estate ISAs. Get more appointments. Make sure your follow-up gets done on time and you get the most out of your leads. Get a great ISA for real estate on your team and watch the results roll in. Power ISA has served over 1,200 agents in the U.S. and Canada since 2015, and it's the one-stop shop for everything you need to get a great inside sales agent on your team. Whether it's setting appointments with your internet leads or making outbound prospecting calls to help you get more listings, Power ISA can get it done for you. Visit PowerISA.com forward slash LCA to get started. That's PowerISA.com forward slash LCA. How many of you listening to this podcast have an office that is a tough shed in your backyard? And that really has nothing to do with the topic that we're going to discuss today. But as I sit there and vet podcast guests and I read through their bios, I'm not going to lie, buddy, that was one of the things that jumped out to me. Now, reality is the reason why our guest is here today is because of his military background. He is a veteran. He has a mission to help more veterans build wealth uh, through investing in real estate. And he is going to come on here today, and we're going to talk about things like VA house hacking. We're going to talk about VA loan misconceptions. We're going to talk about how a lot of what you've been made to believe can actually become an asset for you if you understand how this works so that you can go out and do the exact same thing for more veterans. Uh, so with that said, first, let me say this. Thank you for your service and thank you for what you're doing for all of our servicemen. And welcome to the show, Buddy Rushing. Thanks, man. I really appreciate that. And and I appreciate the support. It uh it it does mean a lot. Um, my father uh, grew up, you know, he was drafted into the Marine Corps uh, during Vietnam. And whenever they came back from that really horrible experience um, for most of the guys that, that went over there, my dad included, um, there was, as you know, um, a lot of a lot of hate. And, um, you know, it was directed toward the Marines and the soldiers and, and so on. And, and I, that scarred my dad for life. Um, that's to put it mildly. And so, I understand that, you know, now it's it's pretty common to to um, show your support for military, regardless of whether you believe in the war that we're fighting. The, America is very pro-military now, but I will tell you, it doesn't go unnoticed. So thank you, honestly. Appreciate it. Well, I mean, the, the thank you, the thank you belongs with you. So thank you. Uh, but so before we get too deep in that, I have to obviously I tease this and I think it was kind of fascinating because as a result of COVID, you know, I never even thought prior to COVID, like, working from home to be a thing. And now I can't imagine going back to the office. Uh, I, I, I go Absolutely. in maybe, maybe once a month to pick up the mail. And you work from a tough shed in your backyard. I, I got to hear this. What's, tell, tell me a yeah. little bit about this. Yeah, I mean, most people start in their garage and they end up in the in the penthouse. And uh, I never got in the penthouse, but uh, I ended up in a tough shed. Yeah, we. Uh, so we'll talk about VA loan house hacking, but I used my VA loan to buy a house here in San Diego. Uh, I was stationed at Camp Pendleton and it came along with a tough shed, right? From like the ones from Home Depot, right? And it was a regular shed, had regular stuff in it, was filled with crap. And you, when COVID hit, and we, you know, I transitioned off of active duty and was going to run White Feather full time. White Feather is the business that we have. And um, I was like, okay, well, I need an, an office because I was working out of the living room 
And, you know, with little kids, that's very difficult to do. So I was like, well, you know, I got to go somewhere. And my wife was like, why don't I just turn the tough shed into this, into this office? So we, we drywalled it. We, we put insulation on it. We ran a, a cat five cable, you know, for modem. I even had a little AC put on the back of it. And uh, so now, yeah, every day, every morning I walk out the back door over to this and it literally still has the placard that says tough shed on it so i open up this tough shed and uh i, I jokingly call it the international headquarters of white feather and you know it fits you know i'm a marine right and marines don't require a lot and uh you know we uh we, we never really had any luxuries during in afghanistan or or at any of the training that we did right marines learn how to do more with less and so it kind of fits you know it fits the culture i guess of white feather that's awesome. What's the square footage? It is a 12 by 10. So 120, so 120 wow, square feet. Wow, yeah. wow. That's awesome. <laughs> That's so awesome. Well, I mean, free. you know, I, I feel like uh, as, as much success as you're having and, and that you're probably going to continue to have, uh, maybe you need to build a second story on there. <laughs> I did put it on a concrete pad. I'm going to try to get it permitted so I can add the extra 120 square foot well, to the. <laughs> I tell you what, most of us, uh, I live in the Midwest and I don't think that would work unless I had it, uh, you know, unless I had some HVAC uh, put in there or, or I had a, you know, I had some sort of a window unit or something. Otherwise, I would only be able to use that at certain times of the year. But in San Diego, I, I don't feel sorry for any of my friends that live in San Diego because mm -hmm. the climate is like just perfect. 65 to 75. Uh, so <laughs> I hate you. I hate you for that. <laughs> I take it all back, buddy. <laughs> all right, man. So let's let's go deep. So first of all, let's start with your story. You mentioned obviously, you know, veteran, you you were a Marine, you were in Afghanistan. So tell us the story. Tell us, you know, kind of what led you to where you are today. Uh, let's start there and then we'll get deep into the weeds. Yeah, I was uh, I was actually on deployment in Afghanistan and I was on uh, what's called a long range reconnaissance patrol. And, uh, I, you know, you have a lot of downtime with those. And so I was sitting there and I found this little purple book in between the, the radio and the seat cushion. Right. And it was Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I read that book. And I grew up on WIC and food stamps. So it spoke to me about being able to build generational wealth, even if you're poor even if you, your father's name isn't, you know, anything to brag about or whatever. And so it spoke to me and that mindset shift that I had in that MRAP, that it's an armored vehicle in that armored vehicle, that mindset shift that I had has never left. And so that's why whenever I talk to people, I always tell them right off the bat, three things. And they're like, what does it take to fill in the blank? Right. You know, three things. Number one, you've got to have a mindset shift. You have to believe that you can and you have to and you have to understand why you're doing it. And then the second is you got to get your personal finances squared away, right? You have to like you have to understand what your income is, what your expenses are, like what your assets and liabilities are. And that's a pretty simple thing to do, but most people don't do it because they don't teach this in school, right? Mm -hmm. And then finally you have to create a blueprint for yourself to grow to financial freedom. And so for me, it all started with that mindset in that armored vehicle in Afghanistan. That's awesome. Rich Dad, Poor Dad, man. What a classic. And that mm. that that uh, particular book, books never get old. Uh, Kiyosaki obviously had something figured out. I always I always tell people, though, when they read it, I'm like, Kiyosaki had a little bit of an advantage because he had the right time, the right place in Hawaii, of all places, mm -hmm. um, which, you know, I would say is probably more similar to a San Diego. But everything he teaches is, is just spot on still to this day. Um, I love that. So 
you were in Afghanistan, you were on a mission, you're have downtime, you're reading this. What, what was the next step? So you read that, then what happened? I read that and then I proceeded to do what is still the worst real estate investment that I've ever done. So what I tell people is you have to have more than just a mindset. Okay. Mindsets are great. And I took from that. The, the only problem I, that I uh, had whenever I finished that book is that I didn't do any follow-on training. I didn't do any building of my network or any of that kind of stuff. And so I bought a house in California um, and it was, I talked to the real estate agent and I said, Hey, is now a good, I want to buy an old house. I want to fix it up and I want to sell it and make lots of money. Cause that's what I've heard works. And I just is now a good time to buy. And he goes, June 2007, it's a great time to buy. And so I've proceeded to buy a house and my wife and I spent a year and a half and all of our money renovating it. And we got it appraised at the end of that year and a half and it was worth half of what we bought it at. Oh. So our, we, had, we started our journey with a negative net worth and uh, yeah, and, and built from there. I mean, that actually, I would argue, is the best experience anybody can have, because if you have the right experience on the first one, it gives you that, uh, you know, unrealistic uh, reality that because yeah. that isn't reality. We all know that if you do this and I've done plenty of it as well and lost more than I've won, uh, especially as I was going through the learning phase, uh, it's just probably what helped create the foundation for where you are today. So where did that where'd you go from there? I'm shocked you didn't quit right then and there. That's a great, great point that, I, that, I, that I'd love to, I'm glad you brought yeah. it up because why wouldn't you? I had just had my first experience had just been devastating. Why in the world not be like real estate sucks. Let's push back from the table. This is terrible. It's all lies, but I don't know why. And, and I would love to say there was some noble flash of lightning or inspirational moment, but really my wife and I looked at each other and we said, wait a minute. Uh, this was in 29 Palms, California, which is a Marine base, right? And we're like, okay, so it's 2009 now. Our house has lost half its value, but every house has lost half its value. And because there's wars in Afghanistan and Iraq, they're increasing the amount of people on the bases and increasing their BAH, which is what they used to pay for housing, for rent and whatever. Mm -hmm. So rents have gone up. So houses are half of what they were, but rents have gone up. We can buy cash flow properties. We're just going to have to do it a little more creatively now because we don't have a lot of money. So check this out. And this is a true story. We're, we had saved up between the two of us $16,000 for our wedding, right? So our families, we don't come from much money. And so for us, we knew we were going to have to pay for everything ourselves. And so that's all the money we had in the world was that $16,000. And we're driving down to Palm Springs through the desert. And we look at each other and say, why don't we instead, we've seen this opportunity where it's houses are half off, rent has gone up. Why don't we use this $16,000 to buy an investment property and get married at the courthouse? And then we will just get have our wedding later when, whenever we can afford it, when it's the right thing to do. So I'm not kidding. We drove to San Bernardino County Courthouse. Court records are still there. We paid like $300 to have to get married by the Justice of Peace or whatever. And then we went back and we bought the El Dorado property, which was a double foreclosed property that we got for $68,000 and it rented for 950 and it was brand new. We later sold that property, did a 1031 exchange into two properties that we still own and have an equity position of over $300,000 now. So that 16,000 has turned into 300,000 and like $1,500 a month of net cash flow um, from the original. So that was our second investment was, was the, the Eldorado property, the wedding investment, we call it. I mean, you know, I, I, I cringe when you say that because I'm thinking about how my wife would have reacted to that. 
to say, uh, yeah, let's full, set the wedding aside. Full credit to Kimberly. I mean, my gosh, when I tell this story, people are always like, whoa, that's awesome. How in the world did she agree to that? And you're going to have to ask her because, yeah, she, she's been, she's been, you know, an amazing part of this whole journey the whole way. I love that, man. I mean, with it, with every, with every success story always comes an important partner, you know, and that's, uh, that's, you're a testament to that. I love that. Okay. So, uh, that number one, massive failure. Number two is turned into massive success, you know, and, and so at what point, like, where did you go from there? And then at what point did you realize, you know what, I want to do this for other veterans or for other, you know, just other people in the military, uh, kind of, how did that, how did that happen? Yeah, it happened. Uh, I say naturally. I mean, I've, I've heard before that if you can find something that you're willing to do for free and then make money off of it, then um, you found your calling, right? And so as we, you know, I was just passionate about real estate. I actually started educating myself. I started buying investment programs and and reading books and educating myself. And I would just blab about it. I went on several other um, deployments to Afghanistan, um, you know, multiple missions, um, and uh, training exercises and things like that. And you have a lot of downtime during those times. And so I would just blab constantly about real estate, was so passionate about it because I saw that as my way of being able to change the legacy of my family forever, right? For as far back as I can remember, the, the we've been poor, right? Even before me and before my dad and so on. Um, and with that comes not only just a lack of opportunities, but also a lot of pain and a lot of, of substance abuse and a lot of you know, uh, physical abuse and and all of the stuff that goes along with with living lives um, in poverty. And I wanted to break that cycle, right? And so that's why I was so excited about it uh, was because I Robert Kiyosaki convinced me that that you can break that cycle through real estate. So to answer your question, um, a lot of people knew what we were doing because I was just talking about it and I was I was openly sharing what I was learning with people. And then you fast forward and, you know, this is truly an overnight success, you know, 12 years in the making for sure, because, you know, we just gradually, as I was deploying and everything, my wife and I were buying properties and doing joint ventures and trustee lending and, you know, uh, self-directing our IRA and learning all the skills that we would later turn into several businesses. And at one point when we sold the Eldorado property, so this all comes back when we sold the Eldorado property, we did a 1031 exchange which is when it, where if you take that money and you roll it into other real estate, you don't have to pay capital gains tax on it, on the sale. So we, we took that, we sold it, we 1031 exchanges into two properties with a turnkey provider in Memphis, which is somebody who buys a property, renovates it, places a tenant, puts it under management, and then you buy it as an investor. And it was an amazing experience. And we said, okay, I've got all these friends, all these Marine buddies that have been saying for years, buddy, I want to be involved in this. I want to, you know, uh, how do I get involved? And I never had an outlet for them. I said, all right, why don't I bring my friends on? I'll educate them. I'll show them how to do it, run cash flow analysis, and then I'll help them buy these properties. And you just give me a referral fee for everything that I bring to the table. And that I made a couple of calls. I remember it was a Saturday morning in February and I made like five phone calls to my friends and every one of them were like, heck yes, yes, absolutely. I'm in. And that ballooned and I was still active duty Marine, but over the course of the next, like, you know, three years, we purchased over 200 properties uh, together as a group. And then we formed together white feather as a group. And then it all took off from there. Wow. 
So a couple of questions. One, were you, did you have any other employment at that time or were you, was your employment being a Marine? Yeah, just active duty Marine. In fact, that was the only money that was coming into our only W2 money that was coming into our house because my wife worked uh, on the business, but, but we were very small, very small time. It wasn't like our business was creating, you know, even hundreds of thousands of dollars of income. It was, it, they were small rental properties that we were building as we could, as we could afford to. Sure. Yeah, that's reality. And and then why Memphis? Um, you know, it just so happens. I could tell you that Memphis is a phenomenal place to invest because of the macro and micro trends and because of da 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 and all this stuff is true. But I didn't know any of that. It, that was not why I invested there. I invested there because I met a guy named Matt who had a um, turnkey business there and the numbers looked great. And I had read also that Memphis was a great place to invest. So, yeah. so I'd love to, you know, it turns out it's correct. Memphis is a tremendous place to buy rental properties. And now we have bought hundreds there, but, but yeah, that was, uh, it was because I trusted him. I, yeah. it, I, and this is actually an important point, right? I've definitely done the best deals I've ever done whenever I bank on the person as opposed to the market or the deal or whatever. And I think you probably would agree with that, right? Absolutely. Although I think some people would also say they got duped by a person. And so, sure. I, you know, there might be a lesson in there uh, because there are a lot of, you know, for lack of a better term, con artists uh, yeah. who are good at convincing you that this market or that market is the next best market. And we all know that it doesn't matter how great the market is historically or as a whole, there's always bad apples everywhere. And there's mm -hmm. bad deals, there's bad tenants, there's just things go wrong. Um, and there's a lot of Memphises, especially in the Midwest, especially for, mm -hmm. for, for West Coast and East Coasters, because they look at the Midwest and they say, oh, God, yeah, there's still $100,000 properties. Uh, yeah. That's insane. You know, I want to buy. Um, but what, so what would be your advice to somebody who, because I'm sure there's somebody listening to this that said, yeah, I thought the same thing about uh, an individual and I got duped. So would you say you feel like you got lucky or was there a certain characteristic that you looked for in a person and coming from a Marine, I think maybe you have a little bit more, yeah. uh, a different lens. Uh, but what would you say is the best advice you would give somebody as they're looking to find that person to trust, to go down this path? That's a phenomenal point. And I'm glad that you brought that up because I do tend to um, focus a little more on the optimistic side of everything. It's just my nature. Um, sounds weird from Marine, but, but I am, I'm just optimistic about it, but you're right. Cause there are people out there who absolutely will con you and will, and, and if you just take them at their word, then, then it's, you're the easiest prey ever. But what I look for in vetting a partner is I look for extreme transparency that can be validated, right? So for instance, if I ask you, you know, what's the, show me the scope of work. Cause it, cause I, I've got taken advantage of by contractors before, um, that were basically lying. Right. And I say, okay, you're going to renovate this. You're saying the renovation budget is $30,000. Show me the scope of work. And then I look, and then if you're willing to show me a by line item scope of work, which a lot of contractors are not, a lot of builders are not willing to do that. Right. Because they don't want to have that kind of transparency. Right. But if you're willing to show me that line item scope of work and I can validate, oh, you just did the painting for that room and it was, you know, $700. And then I can verify that against a painter and say for this square footage of room, you know what I'm saying? So you can, you should do your due diligence. Absolutely. And I did, I did a lot of due diligence on him, on Matt. Um, and I talked to references. I talked to people that have invested with him in the past. What happens when things go wrong, right? Not when things go right, 
right, that's fine. But when things go wrong and he had a reputation for going back and helping solve problems and helping pay for stuff that they found later. And there, so there is a lot of due diligence that you need to do. When I say you bank an opportunity off the person, I mean, you find that person and you do a lot of due diligence on them to make sure that they, two things, one, know what they're doing because there's a lot of lovable losers out there, unfortunately, right? They're great people. They're doing everything they know how to do, but they just don't know what they're doing and they can still lose you money. And then that they have high integrity, right? And, and I gauge integrity off of transparency that can be verified. I love it. I love it. Well, I tell you what, we need to, uh, we need to go deep here. We need to talk about what, what we talked about, or what I teased in the very beginning, uh, which is, which are, uh, either a the things that a lot of well not just real estate professionals but just you know home buyers homeowners uh, renters just humans in general uh, don't really know a whole hell of a lot about and that yeah. is uh, the advantages that are uh, with using a VA loan like I mentioned the VA house hacking so where do you want to start here do you want to start with uh, the misconception about VA loans or do you want to start with the house hacking Let's do house hacking because it's yeah. something that, uh, you know, if you're listening to this, you may or may not even know what we're talking about, right? So VA house hacking is something that um, the VA loan is meant to help uh, a veteran or a military person uh, buy a primary home. Okay, that's fine. Right? I think people all know that. But what you may not know is that you can use that as an instrument to build financial freedom. All you have to do is use a little bit of ingenuity to create, like Robert Kiyosaki used to say, hey, your home is a liability, not an asset. Well, I would take it a step further and say it can be an asset. Your primary home can be an asset because as he defined it, it's an asset is something that brings in money. Well, let's talk about a couple of different options here. And we have people who've done all of these things. The simplest is you can use a VA loan to buy up to four units. So up to a quadplex. You can buy a single family, you can buy a duplex, you can buy a triplex, you can buy a fourplex, right? Well, you're only going to live in one side of that. And then you rent the other three out. And we have, I have a person here who's living in San Diego who uses VA loan to buy a $1.3 million fourplex in San Diego. And he rented out the other three and he's living in one of them. And he is living for free in San Diego. And the other three tenants are paying down his mortgage and it's appreciating and he can take it as a tax write-off. And he used his VA loan and put zero down. That property mathematically by just the, the pay, loan payoff itself will make him a millionaire in less than 10 years, mathematically, with no appreciation, right? That's a VA house hack. Now that's a big one, but there's an example of a guy, Taylor, who he was stationed out in North Carolina, he's in the army, and he used his VA loan to buy a house that was a three-bedroom house, and he rented out two of the bedrooms to other soldiers that were stationed there, paid his mortgage, never paid a single dollar of his mortgage himself. He used rental income from the, from the first month he moved in. So he rented out rooms to house it, right? So that's another example of house hacking. And then whenever he left and went to another duty station, he, rented, he now rents out the whole house and cash flows. It's now a cash flow rental. All of that is 100% legal, 100% appropriate, and 100% an effective use of the VA loan, right? So uh, VA house hacking is just some, and it, for people who are listening, who are saying, hey, I'm a real estate agent. And, you know, when I have a, a, a military person, I want to serve them because I, I want to, you know, show my gratitude for, for what they do for this nation. And, you know, it's a common sentiment among real estate agents. I would say the best way to learn how to serve them is to learn how to help educate them on the power, the awesome generational power of the VA loan. That would be my advice. And there's tons of areas that you can get information on this. But, but as we were discussing off air, 
there are those misconceptions that a VA loan is more challenging or more difficult. And you'll, you'll hear from, you know, a, 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 an ignorant agent or mm-hmm. uh, an uneducated seller that, nah, I don't want to accept that offer because it's VA because, well, there's, there's going to be more, more red tape. Uh, mm-hmm. So how do you respond to that? Yeah, I would, I would respond by saying, you know, the, the, the lenders that I've worked with, and we've worked with a lot of them, uh, both both military people who get their loan uh, MLO, or you know just civilians that that are working with us, because we have a group now. White Feather is about you know it's um, about 500 people around the United States, and we all help each other build financial freedom. And so part of that is we have a lot of lenders that work with us, and I have lenders that actually prefer working with VA clients because they're like it's actually pretty darn easy to close a VA loan. And what I would say is both can't be true, right? It it can't also be true that like, it's very difficult to do a VA loan. And also it's easy. So which one is it? Right. And what I would say is just educating people educating themselves. If if you think that having a, a client who is a veteran is more challenging than having a client who's not a veteran, then I would recommend that you speaking with somebody who deals exclusively with veterans. There are entire businesses that are built around just originating loans and originating um, you know, purchases and sales for VA clients. Why in the world would they do that if it was harder? Yeah, no, I mean, I agree. And, and, and I, don't, I don't even know where that starts from. I mean, because I, and I mentioned to you, you know, I, I'm not too active in the, in the mortgage world anymore, but when I was, uh, a VA, a VA loan was always my favorite. It li- literally my favorite because they are, they're just, con- I would consider them easier. Uh, I would say mm-hmm. that the parameters were more lax because it's designed uh, to put somebody into a home or into a loan that based upon their service essentially. And so mm-hmm. it's less judgmental about some of the traditional factors. Yes. They're all played in a play a part, uh, but, you know, with the fact that you can have zero down and the fact that you, like you said, you can buy a four family, you know, that's, that's, uh, it's, it just gives you that unique opportunity with zero down. That's yeah. the crazy thing about it. And um, what, what would be, what would be some of the misconceptions? So for maybe somebody who's newer uh, to real estate that might be listening to this thing, that's thinking to themselves, I don't have any misconceptions. I don't have any conception whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what, what, what is it that, that, uh, you know, my forefathers, uh, where have they misjudged? Yeah, I would think, you know, there's two different ways. If you're a a military person or a veteran, uh, I think that without question, I would recommend that you, if you have not used your VA loan yet, or you haven't used it to build wealth, not just to to buy a property, that should be your number one priority is figuring out how in the world, because that thing's like a howitzer, right? You've got this gargantuan cannon that you haven't used yet. And if you are not living a life of financial freedom and you have that cannon that you can fire, why in the world wouldn't you? So you got to get yourself educated. There's a ton of information that's out there. I mean, you know, like happy, just, just Google white feather and you, you can find all kinds of information about people who VA house hacked and, and, you know, um, that's what we're all doing. Right. So, but if you're like an agent or a loan officer or something, what I would say is, and I'm saying this from a selfish perspective, because my mission is to help military people create financial freedom. That's our mission at White Feather, everybody that's on the team. And so even if I never meet you, if you decide to build a business catering to helping military people use their VA loan, you're furthering my mission. You're furthering the mission of White Feather without us ever even meeting. So yeah, I do think that 
if I were an agent and I were like, man, because everything's about carving out your niche, right? It's the niche agents that survive the downturns. It's the niche agents that build seven-figure businesses, right? It, whether you're a loan officer, whether you're a real estate agent, whatever, it's about niche, right? Finding your target. So if you can become an expert at helping military, then not only have you found your niche, but who's going who's gonna to come against you? Who's going to judge you negatively for trying to help veterans have a home, right? So you've got a moat around your business at the same time as you've got your niche. So that's what I would tell people is if you have no conceptions at all, try on the conception of maybe let's help our military buy houses. Do you think that there is an advantage? Because I do feel like there has been an influx over the last probably 10 or 15 years, maybe more recent, of veterans getting into the real estate business, whether it's mortgage, whether it's real estate. And they use that to their advantage with other veterans. And, and so to the agent who is a civilian, as you described them, uh, would do you think there's a disadvantage for them? I don't. I think that there is a natural advantage initially to a military person or a veteran um, speaking to another veteran, right? Because there's a natural rapport that's built, of course, mm -hmm. but it is not insurmountable. And it's not something I, I can tell you this, some of the very but Matt, the guy that helped start white feather the way that it is the turnkey provider, he's a civilian, right? Um, most of our loan officers are civilians. Um, most of the sellers that we deal with are civilians. So it's not, I, it, I don't think that it is a disadvantage to be a civilian that's catering to the military. Uh, one of my best friends built uh, Century Residential, which is a nationwide network of military real estate agents. He's a civilian, right? The CEO of USAA is a civilian, right? <laughs> so it's not a natural disadvantage, I don't think. I think as long as your heart is in the right place, and you actually want to help and you actually want to learn and understand what military people face and what they are trying to accomplish and you're legitimately offering support in that, then yeah, I think it's a pretty level playing field. Yeah, I love that. What would you what would be the advice that you would give to somebody? So somebody who's had a lot of success, somebody who is a military veteran. Uh, somebody who focuses on veterans as a part of your business, and you're talking to that civilian agent who says, hmm, never thought about this. That is a good idea. Where should I start? What should I do? What would you say to that person? The person that's telling another civilian agent, how do I start? No, somebody listening to this that says, oh. okay, buddy, you're onto something. I am. I don't have a niche. Uh, and I keep hearing that because you're right. Most agents try to be too broad based because they don't want to let anybody down. Right. Uh, but mm -hmm. the reality is the most successful agents do niche down. And so in this particular case, if they wanted to do that, where would you suggest that they start? How do you even penetrate and, and, um, beyond, beyond the educational piece, because I think that's going to be your first answer. First yeah, of all, of understand, uh, you know, like you said, be able to 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 understand what they're going through, what they're thinking, understand the VA loan and the nuances to it and the advantages that it has. What would you say beyond that? I would say first you have to start with why you want to do this, right? If it's niche just for niche's sake, you're going to feel that. You're going to feel the disingenuous nature of because first thing I'm going to ask you, if you say, hey, man, I'm, you know, I'd love to work with you. I, I work exclusively with military people. Be like, oh, that's awesome. Did you serve? Oh, no, I didn't serve. But, you know, this is why I'm doing it. And if your, um, if your reason is genuine, then I can feel that. 
if your reason is not genuine, it's just you're trying to niche down to make money, I can feel that too. And again, it doesn't mean we won't work together. It just means that you, and you know this, in business in general, you can feel people who are genuine and you want to do business with them because you can trust, you feel like you can trust them because you know where they're coming from and everything. So I would say start with why, like Simon Sinek says, start with why you want to do this. And if you're wanting to niche down and focus on military, why? If it's just to find a niche to make money, don't do that, please, right? If it's because you... Maybe there's a bunch of different reasons. Maybe you had, maybe your father served and you, and you want to, you know, honor him by, or maybe, um, you, you know, live, you, you live near a base, live near a base. Maybe you grew up wanting to join the military, but you had a heart arrhythmia and, and would never be able, you couldn't get accepted to boot camp, but you always wanted to serve. Maybe, you, you know, whatever, right. If it's an, if it's a noble or honorable or respectful, um, or respectable, uh, reason, then sure. All, all of that can be a why, Right. Um, but I would say start with that because you want to be able to explain right off the bat why you're focusing on this and it has to be something that's genuine. And if it's not, then I would say find a niche that you can do that with. It can be anything. It doesn't have to be military. It can be anything, but you want to find a niche that resonates with your soul. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. I mean, geographical niches are the are the, probably the most common and obvious mm -hmm. one and the biggest mistake a lot of agents make because they try to be too broad-based. But so let's, so let me take it one step further then. So find your why get your education. And then where, what would be one piece of advice that you would give to that civilian agent who says, okay, I've got both. Uh, I now understand where should I go to try to drop, drum, drum up some business? Yeah. It's, I mean, the next step is networking, right? It's, 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 it, but not just networking indiscriminately. Um, what I've found is the most powerful networking that I can do is finding people that are at the nexus of things that are parallel to mine. For instance, um, if I'm trying to, uh, you know, I've got a guy, for instance, we run a real estate investing accelerator for um, mostly for service academy grads or military. Um, I have a friend of mine, Scott, who runs a, a group called Service Academy Business Mastermind, which is an online uh, network of about 23,000 people. And they're all Naval Academy grads, West Point grads, military, you know, and so on. So he and I came together and we're like, hey, we should we should build a real estate investing accelerator that teaches people how to build businesses and teaches them how to invest and so on. And he was like, okay, no problem. Why don't we just use my network? And that's where we'll start, you know, finding people to go through this course. Mm -hmm. And then fast forward. And now together with my ops, uh, officer, Greg, we've, you know, we've put 300 people through the course and launched tons of businesses and, and on and on. But my point in saying that is he was at the center of a nexus, right? And so networking with Scott resulted in being able to build a successful business with him. But that was networking with one person who had a similar mission. Well, it's not exactly the same, but it's a similar mission and he has a broad network. So that's what I would say. It's more efficient that way. You can go to the RIAs and definitely do that. You can make cold calls, I suppose. I, I probably wouldn't do that. Um, but I would use the social media channels. You can find online groups. You can find you want to find groups that are similar to what it is that you're trying to focus on and then find the people in there that are the movers, the ones that are networkers themselves. Because then you have that network effect, right? I know you, you know thousands of people. I know Kelly, he knows thousands of people. I have two conversations and that could potentially reverberate to dozens of other people. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. That's what yeah. I'd do. I love it. I love it.
So you personally have invested in in uh, roughly two hundred and fifty million dollars worth of real estate, and in, in your group, uh, which you've you've mentioned, uh, White Feather, almost a billion dollars of investments. Mm. Uh, so tell us tell us a little bit about what White Feather does. You've kind of alluded to it, and it's kind of a group of people, and you're kind of networking and working with each other. And I assume it's almost like a almost like a mastermind of sorts. But explain what that is, uh, because there might be somebody listening that says, "I'm in that category. I don't mm-hmm. invest. I want to affiliate, or I know somebody. I have a child, or I have a cousin, or a, a sibling, or whatever." Uh, tell us yeah. a little bit about White Feather and, and and what that does. Yeah, and that's actually the it's one of the coolest things ever is to see generational impact. And what I mean by that is we had a colonel uh, named Tom who came through the accelerator and did a phenomenal job. Bought a bunch of rental properties, you know, built a business. He's got a coaching business and so on. But he his daughter is also a marine, Michaela, and he talked to her and said, Michaela, you got to go, you got to join White Feather. This is crazy, right? It's going to change your life. She went through and she's in her 20s. And she is on the path to financial freedom now. And then she brought along several of her friends. So we start to see generate. So it's not just, yeah, for sure, for sure. It's not just if you're a military person or a veteran, right? If you've got a a son or a daughter or mother, father, you know, brother, um, and you think that they can benefit from being able to build financial freedom. Absolutely. Right. Um, but what White Feather is, is it's, I mean, it, it started with just uh, Kimberly, my wife and me um, buying rental properties, but then it gradually morphed into helping other military people buy these same rental properties in Memphis. That's where it started. Right. And then teamed up with Scott, started the real estate investing accelerator that teaches people everything from how to do their own personal finances to how to build, how to find their why and build a financial freedom blueprint. Right. Which is a very specific thing that we do. And then how to follow that blueprint, like buy this many properties, here's how to self-direct your IRA, here's how to minimize your taxes using small business strategies, here's how to do a macro and micro analysis to find the area that you're in the Midwest, what, um, what's, the, what's your favorite town in the Midwest where if, if you said, hey, buddy, I want to invest in this town. Uh, well, my favorite is uh, the Lake of the Ozarks, so there's several towns that consist here, but I live in St. Louis. Um, yep, uh, St. Louis. Well, I have a, yeah, St. Louis is a good one to invest in. St. Louis is a great one to invest. And we do macro micro analysis every year on St. Louis. And it's like from a macro perspective, the rent to price ratio, the landlord friendly laws, the taxes, the all that stuff, the path of progress and the growth, right? So you teach you how to analyze properties there in St. Louis, and then also how to buy them. And if you don't have a lot of money, here's how to buy them creatively using sub two acquisition, creative acquisition, bird deals, and so on, right? We've got a guy, that guy, Taylor, phenomenal he, he was a he's actually still active duty in the army he's transitioning out now but in two years he was able to buy 35 units all across like north carolina and and the dakotas and so on turn them into rentals and he started with thirty five thousand dollars of a career starter loan you know how he did that he didn't raise any capital do you know how he did that he did it by doing bird deals which is where you buy them you renovate them and you refinance the money back out of them after mm-hmm. you rent he did it using subject to acquisition, which is where you take over the existing mortgage. He used creative financing, which, like seller which, finance. which by the way, is is common in VA loans. Yeah, yeah. All VA loans are assumable, mm-hmm. right? And so it's very common. And also with interest rates now at seven plus percent, it's going to become a lot. It already is a lot more common. 
Because you, I'm sure you own properties. Your interest rates are probably in the threes or fours, yeah. right? Twos, twos, actually. Twos. I'm in the twos, yeah. In the twos. Yeah, yeah, I've got one in the twos as well, right? I mean, that's powerful. Yeah. And so Taylor was able to build his, his financial freedom goal, I think it was like $13,000 a month of passive income. He now is at that goal. And he's transitioning out of the army. He's not even 30. And he and his wife, who are, you know, uh, moving down to Florida, are, he's not going to get another job, right? Because of using those strategies. And he, he did it super fast, way faster than I, you know, or any of us do it. But, but I mean, he's, he's a pit bull, right? And so for what I would say for people that are interested in building financial freedom through real estate, it absolutely without question is you got to get the education, right? Without the education, it's me like that first deal I did. I had the inspiration, but did not have the education. And I ended up doing a horrible deal. So you got to get the education and you have to have, I, I see education and action as the two, think of it as your left leg and your right leg. If you just move your left leg, if you just educate and you do not take action, then you're just going to spin around in circles, right? So you have to educate and act and educate and act, and that'll gradually move you forward towards your goals, right? So you need to combine those two things. And in your network, man, you have to get a powerful network of people that think like you and preferably people who are further along the journey than you, right? I do not like to be in a room where I feel like I'm more accomplished than everybody else. I like to be in a room where I feel like everybody else is more accomplished than me, yeah. right? So yeah. that's, that's what I would recommend for people that, that want to get started. I love that. that. That last piece of advice too is is so overrated. And, you know, I think it's become more common nowadays. You want to be the dumbest person in the room. And if you're not, you know, you're not going to grow. And um, right. it's, it's such, such a fact. I love that. What would be, uh, what would be your best parting thoughts on this? Number one. Uh, and number two, uh, what's the best way for people to find you and get in touch with you? Yeah, I think right now, the biggest thing that I see is you've after last year, last year was a turbulent year for literally everybody. I mean, medical device sales, biotech, real estate, real estate agents, loan officers. I mean, refinance market completely dried up, like every stock market, yep. crypto winter. I mean, I could go on and on, right? Now banks are closing and, yeah. you know, you think the world is falling apart. But let me ask you this, and, I, and I'm pretty sure that, that I know your answer. What do you think about turbulent times as a business builder, as an investor? What, what is your thought when you, when you hear turbulent times? Well, as someone who's been through a bunch of them and went through a seven and 08, I know that the turbulent times are where is typically how you come out of that is what defines your future success. I think most crawl into a hole, others double, triple down, and really sometimes just staying mentally stable enough to withstand yeah. it and get through. That would be my- Exactly. And you, you hit both, both of them perfectly. One is the personal side of it, and it's developing- resilience, um, adaptability, right? Retooling. I've had to shut down one part of the business and retool the other part of the business, right? And things like that. And it's the, it's the businesses that, and the people that are most able to adapt that come through and are stronger on the other side. So that was a fantastic thing to hit. And thank you for that. The other part was, was kind of what I was alluding to, which is the opportunities. There are generational opportunities that exist right now in real estate. And the reason for that is because you've had interest rates that have skyrocketed faster than they ever have in our entire lifetimes, right? They've more than doubled in, in less than a nine month span, right? And so that shock takes the buyers out of the marketplace. Sellers 
are sitting on a ton of equity and low interest rates. And so they're hesitant to sell because they'd be trading down, not yeah. trading up. Yeah. And so you've got this grind to a halt, but then you still have all of the opportunities that exist whenever lifestyle things happen. When there's a death in the family and it passes to the heirs, they don't care what the low interest rate is. When there's a divorce and you have to get rid of the asset, you, you can't quibble over what the interest rate is. You have to sell the thing. Yeah. And so you can either sell it at a steep discount to a buyer that has a, needs to get a 7% interest, or if you have creative acquisition people, then they can come in and do all the stuff we just talked about, taking it subject to right, acquiring all that stuff. I think for the creative investor, there is a generational opportunity right now. And so we've built an entire acquisition wing of Whitefeather to, to hit those opportunities. So that's what I would say. The mindset right now for people, like parting thought, there is more opportunity right now than you can possibly imagine. You just have to have the mindset, the resilience, and you have to know where to look. And oh, the other thing was, how do you get in touch? Um, yep. So, uh, sorry. Yeah, so you can find me on social media on um, like uh, LinkedIn. It's just Edward Rushing. Um, I think on Facebook, it's Buddy Rushing, which is my nickname. Um, and then uh, whitefeatherinvestments.com is, is our website. Um, you know, any of those can uh, where Where are you most active? On, where are you most active on social? Um, I would say Facebook. Yeah. I mean, it, I get, you know, notifications. And you're not, and your name is Edward or buddy on Facebook. Buddy. Yeah. Buddy, buddy rushing. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome, man. Dude, this has been great. It's been a great conversation. I think it's a great reminder. Uh, even, even things like VA loans being assumable, I think sometimes you just forget about or take that for granted because it typically doesn't come into play. And right now it is coming into mm -hmm. massive play because like mm -hmm. you said, if you, if you as an agent stumble upon a seller that happens to be a veteran that may, may just, they're not thinking about that, or maybe they didn't know. And you can advise something like that, man, that's a game changer for a buyer uh, to get into that two, three, 4% loan where who knows, man? I mean, uh, you know, I think their speculation rates are going to dip. Are they, how much are they going to dip? And uh, th there's a lot of opportunity with the, the VA homeowners currently have such a unique advantage uh, when selling their home for that reason. Uh, it's, it's insane. That's a fantastic, that's a fantastic point. I had a friend of mine, Brandon, who's in the Navy. He's a agent. He recently helped somebody get a VA loan, assume a VA loan, and it was 2.375 and it had amortized two years already. So do you know what's interesting about a 2.375 that's two years into the amortization schedule? You're already paying more toward principal every month than you are interest. Yeah. Do you know if you get a 7%? Here's a, here's a math quiz for you. Probably just take a guess. If you originate a 7% interest finance 30-year fixed mortgage right now, how many years until you start paying more toward principal than interest? Take a wild guess. I'll say 12. Uh, it's closer to 20, but yeah. Wow. Yep. It's closer wow. to 20. So literally, but if you assume instead that VA loan, you're already paying more toward principal, which means your wealth, your equity is building rapidly. Yeah. Right? It's a huge opportunity. Yeah. It's And, I, and if you've never... Uh, scoured amortization schedules like uh, some of us have. And I probably should have known that, but I don't scour them like I used to. Uh, it's uh, it's fascinating because like you just said, it's very uncommon in a traditional world uh, to be paying more towards principal than interest in the beginning of a loan. It's almost mm -hmm. unheard of. Uh, yeah. And so, but yeah, yet there are a lot of them that's happening. It's, I guess, happening with me. I don't even pay that close of attention to it. I just know. And as I tell my wife, I'm like, we're not going anywhere because we have this, we have these interest rates on, on our properties and 
Uh, there's no, there's, you know, we're going to go backwards. We're going to go backwards if we move. So honestly, you don't even need to know it. Like, I mean, who cares? You've got a two, you've got yeah. deals I've in got the twos. twos. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You, you can completely ignore that and yeah. move on with your life and understand, look, that's an amazing decision, right? Yeah. 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 Amen. That's awesome. Amen. Buddy, it has been a pleasure, man. Once again, thank, thank you so much for your service. Thank you for what you do to serve the military community. Um, it definitely is not unnoticed. I'm really, it's an, it's been an honor to, uh, to be able to have you on as a guest and be able to share with our audience. I think the, that, uh, you've definitely opened up hopefully many minds, uh, to some of the opportunities that exist. And like you said, beyond even all of this VA talk and, and military talk, uh, just understanding the opportunity that exists in down markets, which is right now, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh, op- open up your damn eyes. If, if you're, yeah. if you're doom and gloom, man, you got to change the, you got to change the lens by which you're looking at the world. So. Amen. Absolutely agree with that. I, I I love that. And not only that, man, just, just even if it, just in general, even if it wasn't a down market, if you're doom and gloom, then you are closing your eyes to the opportunities. So just in general, it's one of the reasons that I, I'm forced optimism, right? Yeah. Is like, I'm not trying to shut my eyes to the dangers. I'm taking those into account. But like, man, open your eyes to the opportunities. And number one, you'll, you'll find more opportunities. And two, it's a lot more fun. Yeah. You know? Yeah, 100%. Buddy been a pleasure, man. I want to stay in touch. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Take care, brother. Today's podcast is brought to you by Power ISA, the industry experts in real estate ISAs. Get more appointments. Make sure your follow-up gets done on time and you get the most out of your leads. Get a great ISA for real estate on your team and watch the results roll in. Power ISA has served over 1,200 agents in the U.S. and Canada since 2015, and it's the one-stop shop for everything you need to get a great inside sales agent on your team. Whether it's setting appointments with your internet leads or making outbound prospecting calls to help you get more listings, Power ISA can get it done for you. Visit PowerISA.com forward slash LCA to get started. That's PowerISA.com forward slash LCA. Radical Agents Podcast.